Book Two, Chapter Seventeen of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Seventeen: The Sufferings of Our Savior Jesus Christ After the Denial of Saint Peter Until Morning, and the Great Sorrow of His Most Holy Mother. The holy evangelists pass over in silence what and where the Savior suffered after the ill-treatment in the house of Caiaphas and the denial of St. Peter. But they all take up again the thread of events when they speak of the council held by them in the morning in order to deliver him over to Pilate, as will be related in the next chapter. I had some doubts as to the propriety of speaking of this intervening time and of manifesting that which was made known to me concerning it, for it was intimated to me that all cannot be known in this life, nor is it proper that all should be made known to all men. On the day of judgment, these and many other sacraments of the life and the passion of our Lord shall be published to the whole world. I cannot find words for describing that which I might otherwise manifest. I do not find adequate expression for my concepts, and much less for the reality itself. All is ineffable and above my capacity. But in order to obey the orders given me, I will say what I am able, so as not to incur the blame of concealing the truth, which directly reproaches and confuses our vanity and forgetfulness. In the presence of heaven, I confess my own hardness of heart, in not dying of sorrow and shame, for having committed such great sins at such a cost to our God, the originator of my life and being. We cannot ignore the wickedness and gravity of sin, which caused such ravages in the author of grace and glory. I would be the most ungrateful of all the woman born, if I would not now abhor sin more than death, and as much as even the demon, and I cannot but intimate and assert that this is the duty likewise of all the children of the Holy Catholic Church. By the ill treatment which the Lord received in the presence of Caiaphas, the wrath of this high priest and of all his supporters and ministers was much gratified, though not at all satiated. But as it was already past midnight, the whole council of these wicked men resolved to take good care, that the Savior be securely watched and confined until the morning, lest he should escape while they were asleep. For this purpose, they ordered him to be locked, bound as he was, in one of the subterranean dungeons, a prison cell set apart for the most audacious robbers and criminals of the state. Scarcely any light penetrated into this prison to dispel its darkness. It was filled with such uncleanness and stench that it would have infected the whole house, if it had not been so remote and so well enclosed, for it had not been clean for many years, both because it was so deep down and because of the degradation of the criminals that were confined in it, for none thought it worth while making it more habitable than for mere wild beasts, unworthy of all human kindness. The order of the council of wickedness was executed. The servants dragged the creator of heaven and earth to that polluted and subterranean dungeon, there to imprison him. As the Lord was still bound with the fetters laid upon him in the garden, these malicious men freely exercised all the wrathful cruelty with which they were inspired by the prince of darkness, for they dragged him forward by the ropes, inhumanly causing him to stumble and loading him with kicks and cuffs amid blasphemous imprecations. 
From the floor in one corner of the subterranean cavern protruded part of a rock or block, which on account of its hardness had not been cut out. To this block, which had the appearance of a piece of column, they now bound and fettered the Lord Jesus with the ends of the ropes, but in a most merciless manner. For they forced him to approach it and tied him to it in a stooping position so that he could neither seat himself nor stand upright for relief, forcing him to remain in a most painful and torturing posture. Thus they left him bound to the rock, closing the prison door with a key and giving it in charge of one of the most malicious of their number. But the infernal dragon rested not in his ancient pride. In the desire of finding out who this Christ was and of overcoming his imperturbable patience, he invented another scheme, to the execution of which he incited the jailer and some others of the servants. He inspired the one who held the key of the divine treasure trove, the greatest in heaven and earth, with the idea of inviting some of his equally evil-minded companions to descend to the dungeon and entertain themselves for a while with the master of life by forcing him to speak a prophecy or do some other strange or unheard of thing, for they believed him to be a diviner or magician. Moved by this diabolical suggestion, he invited some of the soldiers and servants who readily consented. While they were discussing this matter, a multitude of angels, who assisted the Redeemer in his passion, when they saw him so painfully bound in such an improper and polluted place, prostrated themselves before him, adoring him as their true God and Master, and showing him so much the more reverence and worship, the more they admired the love which moved him to subject himself to such abuse for the sake of mankind. They sang to him some of the hymns and canticles which his own mother had composed in his praise, as I have mentioned above. The whole multitude of angelic spirits begged him, in the name of the same lady, that since he would not permit his own almighty power to alleviate the sufferings of his humanity, he give them permission to unfetter and relieve him of this torturing position, and to defend him from that horde of servants, now instigated by the demons to heap upon him new insults. The Lord would not permit the angels to render this service, and he said to them, Ministering spirits of my eternal Father, I do not wish to accept any alleviation in my sufferings at present, and I desire to undergo these torments and affronts, in order to satiate my burning love for men, and leave to my chosen friends this example, for their imitation and consolation in their sufferings, and in order that all may properly estimate the treasures of grace which I am gaining for them in great abundance through my pains. At the same time, I wish to justify my cause so that, on the day of my wrath, all may know how justly the reprobate shall be condemned for despising the most bitter sufferings by which I sought to save them. Tell my mother to console herself in this tribulation, since the day of rest and gladness shall come. Let her accompany me now in my works and sufferings for men, for her affectionate compassion and all her doings afford me much pleasure and enjoyment. Thereupon the holy angels betook themselves to their great queen and lady, and consoled her with this message, although she already knew in another way the will of her divine son and all that happened in the house of Caiaphas. When she perceived the new cruelty with which they had left Christ the Lord, bound in a posture so painful and hard, she felt in her purest body the same pains, 
just as she had felt that of the blows and cuffs, and other insults inflicted upon the author of life. All the sufferings of the Lord miraculously reacted upon the virginal body of this sincerest dove. The same pains beset the mother and son, and the same sword pierced both their hearts, with only this difference, that Christ suffered as God-man, and sole redeemer of mankind, while Mary suffered as a creature, and as a faithful helper of her most holy Son. When the blessed queen perceived that this band of vile miscreants, incited by the devil, would be permitted to enter the dungeon, she wept bitterly at what was to happen. Foreseeing the malicious intentions of Lucifer, she held herself ready to make use of her sovereign power to prevent the executions of any designs upon the person of Christ that would imply indecency, such as the dragon sought to induce those happy men to carry out. For although all they did was most unbecoming and irreverent in his regard, yet there were insults which would have been still more indecent, and by which the demon, not having succeeded hitherto, desired now to try the meek forbearance of the Lord. So exquisite and rare, wonderful and heroic, were the doings of the lady at this time, and during the whole passion, that they could not worthily be mentioned, or becomingly extolled, even if many books were written for this sole object, and as they are indescribable in this life, we must leave this full revelation to the beatific vision. The ministers of wickedness, therefore, broke into the dungeon, blasphemously gloating over the expected feast of insult and ridicule, which they were now going to hold with the Lord of all creation. Going up to him, they began to defile him with their loathsome spittle, and rain blows and cuffs upon him, with unmentionable and insulting mockery. The Lord opened not his mouth, or made an answer. He raised not his divine eyes, and lost not the humble serenity of his countenance. The sacrilegious buffoons wished to drive him to some ridiculous or extraordinary saying or action, so that they might make a laughing stock of him as a sorcerer, and when they were compelled to witness his unchanging meekness, they allowed themselves to be incited still more by the demons. They untied the divine master from the stone block, and placed him in the middle of the dungeon, at the same time, blindfolding him with a cloth. There they began to come up, one after the other, and strike him with their fists, or slap or kick him, each one trying to outdo the other, in vehemence of their blasphemous cruelty, and asking him to prophesy who had struck him. This kind of sacrilegious treatment, these servants repeated even more often and continued longer than before the tribunal of Annas, to which St. Matthew, Chapter 26, verse 67, St. Mark, chapter 14, verse 65, and St. Luke, chapter 22, verse 64, refer, tacitly including all that followed. The most meek lamb silently bore this flood of insults and blasphemies. Lucifer, tormented by his anxious desire of seeing some sign of impatience in him, was lashed into fury at the equanimity with which the Savior bore it all. Therefore he inspired those slaves and friends of his with the project of despoiling the Lord of all his clothes and pursuing their ill-treatment according to suggestions which could only originate in the execrable demon. They readily yielded to this new inspiration and set about its execution. But the most prudent lady was moved to most tearful prayers and aspirations at this abominable attempt and interfered with her power as the queen." 
she asked the eternal father to withdraw his cooperation with the secondary or created causes towards such a beginning and she commanded the faculties of these servants not to perform their natural functions thus it happened that none of the ruffians could execute the indecencies which the demon or their own malice suggested to them some of these suggestions they forgot immediately and others they could not follow up because their limbs became as it were frozen or paralyzed until they again changed their intent as soon as they desisted the use of their limbs would again be restored for this was not intended as a punishment but merely in order to prevent their practicing any indecencies they were left entirely free to practice those cruelties or indulge in other irreverence which was not so indecent or were permitted by the lord the powerful queen also commanded the demons to be silent and forbade them to follow out the indecent intentions of lucifer their leader by this command of the powerful lady the dragon completely lost his power in those matters which mary wished to include in her prohibition neither could he further irritate the foolish anger of those depraved men nor could they go any further in their indecency than she permitted but while experiencing within themselves the wonderful and extraordinary effects of her commands they did not merit to be undeceived or recognize the divine power although they thus saw themselves alternately paralyzed and suddenly restored to the full use of their powers they attributed it to the sorcery and magic of the master of truth in their diabolical infatuation they continued to practice their insulting mockery and tortures upon the person of christ until they noticed that the night had already far advanced then they again tied him to the column and leaving him thus bound they departed with all the demons it was ordained by the divine wisdom that the power of the blessed mother safeguard propriety and decency due to the person of her most pure son against the improper intentions of lucifer and his ministers again the savior was alone in the dungeon surrounded by the angelic spirits who were full of admiration at the doings and the secret judgments of the lord in what he wished to suffer they adored him with the deepest reverence and magnified his name in exalted praise the redeemer of the world addressed a long prayer to his eternal father for the children of the evangelical church for the spreading of the holy faith and for the apostles especially for saint peter who during that time was beweeping his sin he prayed also for those who had injured and tormented him above all he included in his prayer his most holy mother and all those who in imitation of him were to be afflicted and despised in this world at the same time he offered up his passion and his coming death for these ends his grief-stricken mother followed him in these prayers offering up the same petitions for the children of the church and for its enemies without any movements of anger indignation or dislike toward them only against the demon was she incensed because he was entirely incapable of grace on account of his irreparable obstinacy in sorrowful complaints she addressed the lord saying divine love of my soul my son and lord thou art worthy to be reverenced honored and praised by all creatures since thou art the image of the eternal father and the figure of his substance letter to the hebrews chapter one verse three infinite in thy being and in thy perfections thou art the beginning of all holiness apocalypse chapter one verse eight 
but if the creatures are to serve thee in entire subjection why do they now my lord and god despise vilify insult and torture thy person which is worthy of the highest worship and adoration why has the malice of men risen to such a pitch why has pride dared to raise itself even above heaven how can envy become so powerful thou art the only and unclouded sun of justice which enlightens and dispels the darkness of sin john chapter one verse nine thou art the fountain of grace withholding its waters from no one thou art the one who in his liberal love givest being and life to all that live upon this earth and all things depend upon thee while thou hast need of none acts of the apostles chapter seventeen verse twenty eight what then have they seen in thy doings what have they found in thy passion that they should treat thee in so vile a manner o most atrocious wickedness of sin which has so disfigured the heavenly beauty and obscured the light of thy countenance o cruel sin which so inhumanly pursues the repairer of all thy evil consequences but i understand my son and master i understand that thou art the builder of true love the author of human salvation the master and lord of virtues psalm twenty three verse ten thou wishest to put in practice thyself what thou teachest the humble disciples of thy school thou wishest to humble pride confound haughtiness and become the example of eternal salvation to all and if thou desirest that all imitate thy ineffable patience and charity then that is my duty above all others since i have administered to thee the material and clothed thee in this body now subjected to suffering and wounded spit upon and buffeted o oh, would that i alone should suffer these pains and that thou my most innocent son be spared and since this is not possible let me suffer with thee unto death you o oh heavenly spirits who full of wonder at the long-suffering of my son recognize his immutable deity and the innocence and excellence of his humanity seek ye to compensate for these injuries and blasphemies heaped upon him by men give him glory and magnificence wisdom honor virtue and power apocalypse chapter five verse twelve invite the heavens the planets and the stars and the elements to acknowledge and confess him and see whether there is another sorrow equal to mine such and many more were the sorrowful aspirations of the most pure lady in giving vent to the bitterness of her grief and pain peerless was the patience of the heavenly princess in the death and passion of her beloved son and lord so that what she suffered never seemed to her much nor her afflictions equal to those demanded by her affection which was measured only by the love and the dignity of her son and the greatness of his sufferings nor did she in any of the injuries and affronts against the lord take any account of their being committed against herself she reflected not on the share which she herself had in them although she was made to suffer so much by all of them she deplored them only in so far as they outraged the divine personality and caused damage to the aggressors she prayed for them all that the most high might pardon them and grant them salvation from the evils of sin and enlightenment for gaining the fruits of redemption instruction given by the queen of heaven most holy mary my daughter it is written in the holy gospels john chapter five verse fifty seven 
that the eternal father has given to his only son and mine the power to judge and condemn the reprobate on the last day the day of universal judgment this was eminently proper not only in order that all the sinners may see their judge who will sentence them according to the most just will of god but also in order that they may behold and recognize his humanity by which they were redeemed and be confronted in it with the torments and injuries it suffered in order to rescue them from eternal damnation the same judge and lord who shall judge them shall also advance the charge as they cannot answer or satisfy for the crimes with which he charges them their confusion will be only the beginning of the eternal torments which they merited by their obstinate ingratitude for then shall become evident to all the world the greatness of his most merciful and kind redemption and the justice of their damnation great was the sorrow most bitter the grief of my most holy son that not all should make use of the fruits of his redemption this same thought also pierced my heart and immensely added to the sorrow of seeing him spit upon buffeted and blasphemed more cruelly than can ever be understood by living man but i understood all these sufferings clearly and as they should be understood therefore my sorrow was great in proportion to this knowledge just as it was also the measure of my reverence and love of the person of christ my son and lord but next to this sorrow my greatest one was to know that after all these death-dealing sufferings of the lord so many men should still damn themselves even within sight of all the infinite treasures of grace i wish that thou imitate and follow me in this sorrow and that thou lament this fearful misfortune for among all the losses sustained by men there is none which deserves to be so deplored nor which can ever be compared to it my son and i look with a special love upon those who imitate this sorrow and afflict themselves on account of the perdition of so many souls seek thou my dearest to distinguish thyself in this exercise and continue to pray for thou canst scarcely imagine how acceptable are such prayers to the almighty but remember his promise that those who pray shall receive luke chapter eleven verse nine and that to those who knock the gates of his infinite treasures shall be opened in order that thou mayest have something to offer in return write into thy heart what my most holy son and thy spouse suffered at the hands of those vile and depraved men and the invincible patience meekness and silence with which he submitted to their wicked whims with this example labor from now on that no anger nor any other passion of a daughter of adam have any sway over thee let an interior and ever active horror of pride and a dread of injuring thy neighbor be engendered in thy bosom solicitously ask the lord for patience meekness and peacefulness and for a love of sufferings and christ's cross embrace this cross with a pious affection and follow christ thy spouse in order that thou mayest at last possess him matthew chapter sixteen verse fourteen End of chapter 17